His name is Heston Blumenthal. He is one of the most inquisitive and creative chefs on the planet with a knowledge of food quite unlike anyone else. And now Heston is taking us on a journey to the centre of food, deep inside ingredients and dishes we all recognise to reveal the hidden secrets inside them and hopefully change how we view cooking and eating forever. Hello, Heston. As Dean Martin said, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It is. Hello, Jay. Hello, dear listeners. I think we've got um, James lurking in the background. <laughs> Hello. I am, I am here, just below the surface. Heston, how's your, how are your Christmas preparations coming on? Pretty, well, pretty good. <laughs> That's <laughs> basically, is just a very brief sentence to say I'm not quite sure yet. It hasn't quite started yet here. It has in my imagination, the build-up definitely has well i suppose we're in a we're in a, a, a quite unique time with mm. covid so all the things that normally you know the sort of christmas little festivals and stuff that start well i don't know what's going to happen but you know that's part of the beauty of christmas it's in our imagination so i'm having the christmas cheer whether you like it or not i'm gonna have it <laughs> <laughs> embrace yourself here comes a segue you've set me up very nicely there uh, uh, talking about christmas traditions i was looking into some christmas traditions of the olden days which is a technical time in history uh <laughs> that we've maybe 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 forgotten uh, and i thought i'd run some past you the first one uh, that really caught my attention was something called meat shows now, I come from the West Country, Ooh. so I'm not unfamiliar with a meat raffle here and there, which I do enjoy. But a meat show, apparently, that the local butchers would all come together in a district to sell their goods. But there'd be a big competition element to it. And the butchers would strive to win awards uh, such as best fat sheep and best fat cow, which is something I think they should have kept alive. because That sounds fantastic. I know from um, we over the years, we worked with a couple of incredible historians and one of them, Mark. Meltonville, who ran was one of the people, the guys that ran the kitchens at Hampton Court Palace. He said before Queen Victoria, it was Albert that that brought over from Bavaria or Germany Christmas trees and maybe even Turkey. So what did we do before then? It was beef and pork, and I think that it, the twelve days of Christmas. I think it used to be twenty one days or something, but you know, I suppose business work going to work and earning money started to take over so those those 20 something days gradually shrank they got to 12 days and you would um basically have an animal and the animal would be would, would be slaughtered would be reared and slaughtered and then you gradually eat you'd preserve some parts of the animal and cook others so you'd start your celebration by making sure that you basically with the community all help prepare and eat the animal over the celebration for Christmas, you know, the Christmas period, apparently. Wow. I love this. And that's the thing about these Christmas traditions, isn't it? They all sort of merge and fold on top of one another and we all adopt them from other countries. I've, I'm always amazed just, just within our, you know, small communities mm. in Britain of all different nationalities, how different people's experiences are on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Even, you know, even on our street here, we've got people from all different backgrounds and some are eating fish and having celebrations on Christmas Eve. Some are not. It, it, it's, it's brilliant how different we are just from one country to another. Yeah, and one of the things I love about Christmas is, is you can't change the date. I mean, depending on the culture, it could be you can change the date. So obviously, if you're Jewish, if depending on your on your religious background or cultural background, but you share 
groups of people share the same date. So it might be Christmas Eve, it might be Christmas Day. But the build-up to that moment of unified celebration or, or coming together kind of leads to cliches. And I used to be, you know, as younger, thinking, oh, yeah, cliches, like Red Roses and Valentine's Day and stuff like that. But, you know, cliches are cliches because they work. It doesn't matter if they're cheesy. There's nothing wrong with a bit of cheese in our life. And if, it, if it's, it's something that brings us all together, like a shared moment, like Christmas, I love it. I, I love it. And it gives us adults to continually relive our lives, our, our, our childhood memories. Anyway, I can ramble a lot about the wonderment of Christmas and the build-up <laughs> to Christmas. Although I do remember, I remember the early days of the, of the uh, Fat Duck when we were working many hours we in order to have two weeks off we wanted to have two weeks off over christmas the first two years we we opened all over the christmas so let's try and get let's work up to christmas eve so so everyone can have time with their families over christmas unusual for a restaurant but in order to do that we opened mondays for about six or seven weeks before christmas so it was a long old slog and I remember one year, peaking too early, I bought a Christmas CD. It was one of the sort of, now that's what I call Christmas, 29 or something. Now, these days we don't have CDs anymore. But it went on the stereo in the kitchen. And I think by the third week in October, somebody snapped the CD. <laughs> so we peaked too soon. So you have to be very careful. <laughs> Don't peak too Don't soon. Don't peak too soon. <clears throat> well, this this was this podcast is early by my standards in terms of thinking about Christmas, but I think, like you said, for all the things we've been through, the earlier we think of Christmas, the better. Oh, and if there's ever also, been a time to celebrate to celebrate something together through food, in the you know, it's now. And clearly, the most important thing for all adults to celebrate through at Christmas is booze. And uh, I've got some interesting things here. Now, you've probably heard of quite a few of these, but talking about that kind of regional differences in Christmas back in history, different drinks, smoking bishops, which is steaming mug of port, red wine, cloves and oranges. Sounds very nice from Victorian times. Sounds a bit like mulled wine, that. Exactly. That's what I thought. It's the same, same sort of taste, isn't it? Yeah. The whip coal which is brandy and egg hailing from the Shetland Islands. Mm, uh, that could be a, egg. an eggnog or snowball. Lamb's wool, which is a mixture of ale, apples, sugar and cream from Yorkshire. I never heard of that. That sounds interesting. That sounds really good. That's one of these ones. That's the one that appeals. And this one's called Egg Hot, which is a combination of cider, egg yolks and spices from Devon. There we are. I, didn't, I haven't heard of any of those, actually. Cool. Well, there's a few opportunities looming for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Maybe next podcast. <laughs> I'll the be podcast. introducing yeah. you with a slur. Oh, okay. <laughs> Six lamb wools, lamb's wools later. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, we should, we should have one of those from now on. It would be sponsored by Egg Hot, which is such a strange name for a drink. Quite enjoy that. Those are some of the things from history. But we are going to be delving into an ingredient today, which has obviously got a big history to it. Heston, where are we going today? Which Christmas treat are you going to be exploring for us? One of the foods, one of the dishes most synonymous with pre-Christmas and the build-up to Christmas Mince pies. Lovely. Or should I say, mince pies. <laughs> is, that your, is that your waitrose voice? My radio, yeah. I just, I just dropped my voice down a little bit there. Mince pies. By Heston. Warm and wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are. You can't get more synonymous than that with Christmas, surely. Maybe, maybe the Christmas pudding, but you don't have that as much, do you, really? I well, mean, you, I mean that's normally Christmas Day, isn't it? Mince pies is all about the build-up. And in fact, in the... 
I mean, you can eat mince pies whenever you want to, but the culmination for me, the, the, you have the build-up and then you have the night before Christmas when you leave the mince pie and the carrot and the milk out for Santa and, uh, and his band of merry helpers, the reindeers, um, when they squeeze themselves down the chimney. Got to give them something to eat to get the energy to get back out again. They've got a lot of homes to go to. I'm curious. Do you think they sell mince pies all year round in the supermarket? I've never noticed. I don't look for them the rest of the year. Good question. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you can argue it's a bit like turkey. We have roast turkey for Christmas. And I'm sure you can buy frozen turkeys all year round. But how many people roast a turkey outside of Christmas however you do find turkey slices in packets to put in sandwiches and um, I think it's becoming quite a it's quite an in food for people that like exercising at the moment turkey but hot roast turkey for it's a Christmas thing mince pies need to do a bit like cream eggs did I always thought it was very clever that cream eggs have reinvented themselves for is it Halloween now they do sort of a spooky egg which is basically cream egg with different colours. They're finding other ways to get Easter treats out. Mince pies could do that. We could have summer mince pies. Well, I suppose if you think about mint, mince pies, pastry or biscuit, it's dried fruit and traditionally meat, hence the word mince pie. Is that true? I, 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 yeah. You know, it's always joked about that it's the same thing, but is, was it originally made with meat? Yeah, it was, originally made with, it was originally made with meat. And in fact, I mean, there's never one reason for anything happening. But one of, the, one of the theories is that if you cure fish, you cure fish with salt or sugar because it creates this osmotic pressure which removes excess water from, from, from the meat or the fish and preserves it. So salting or sugaring will preserve protein. So if you think about the amount of sugar in dried fruit... You make a sort of compote and with, and with meat. So it's called minced meat because it can take meat. And in fact, you know, on the face of it, that might sound a bit bizarre. But what is suet? It's meat. The original suet is made from beef fat, mainly the fat around the kidneys. And it was called tallow. So melted, it was tallow. And you keep that jar in your fridge. It would last for a very long time. And you'd use it, it would have a very high flaming point. So you could heat it up in a, in, a, in, a, in a pan to very high heat before it burnt. So beef fat and kidney fat and tallow is actually fabulous for doing chips or roast potatoes. It's not fabulous, obviously, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, because it comes from beef. But that, that's where the tradition was. And, and that combination of dried fruit, concentrated sugars and... The fat gave the richness for the mincemeat. And if you go back a couple of hundred years or longer, let's say 15, 1600s, so much of the meat-based dishes in the UK had an element of dried fruit with them. So the tradition is there. It's just something we don't think about. But those dried fruits would all be UK-based dried fruits, I'm guessing, at that time. It wouldn't have been so easy to get fruits in the more exotic stuff that you'd imagine in those, in those areas. No, although the, or the East India Company, the shipping company, which um, was one of the big founders of the spice roots, was uh, British. And at one point, their army 
because obviously they had to protect the ships when they sailed around the world, bringing valuable spices from exotic um, other destinations. And then bear in mind, these spices would, they would keep. So at some point, numbers of spices were incredibly valuable. So if you wanted to serve, uh, you wanted to show off at your dinner table, you would serve these spices that had come halfway around the world on a ship. It's interesting because these days now we think about air miles or, 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 you know, what damage you might be doing to the environment. But in those days, it was a real sign of, of, of wealth and, and a treat. So dried fruit would have the same. You could bring exotic fruits as well that were dried. Well, we think about um, seasonality. There is, we don't have pineapples in, in the UK. So if you're being really strict with seasonality, would you never eat tinned pineapples? In fact, the, that, that canning process or the drying process, it's a bit like um, tin tuna. It's a completely different product. So in some areas, preserved foods are, although the ingredient might be the same, it's a completely different product. Well, raisins to grapes, for example, is a million miles apart. Yeah. I, I, can really? I ask a question? I've always been curious about this. Dried fruits, are they healthy for you? I presume they haven't had anything added to them like sugars and things. Are they healthy for you? Or, and if not, how less healthy than the fruit? I know that's a very specific question, but I've always been curious because I tend to think of them as a healthy thing to eat. Not particularly. No, they're not. They're incredibly concentrated in sugar. Oh, bugger. <laughs> so if you, I think in general, without going down to the, the sort of nutritional route on this, if you eat fruits, um, sugar is sugar, whether it's glucose, fructose, sucrose, maltose, dextrose, la di da di da What you need is the fiber, the cellulose and the fiber. So if you're going to eat an apple or an orange, for example, you really need the pith and the skin and the core. So all the, all the fibrous stuff that we don't, normally don't like eating is the stuff that gives the gives us the biggest benefit from the fruit because it means our the little fellas down there in our lower gut have to work hard to break down that fiber and cellulose um in dry fruit you're just concentrating because you're driving the moisture off and you're concentrating the sugars uh, but it can also still be delicious so that brings us back to our mince pies now i know over the years you've probably had lots of little voyages into creating mince pies i know through your the waitrose things you've made i've tried quite a few different versions of yours some sort of puff pastry through to crumble top ones through to well, you've, you've done quite a few of these talk to me about some of your journeys of discovery in the world of mince pies I, I suppose the biggest one was when i discovered that mince meat was called mince meat because it was made with actual meat so we played around with putting different types of meat um, ribs of beef in there and sweetbreads and all sorts of things pigeon venison what was that like what was the, what was a, a pigeon mince pie like it was delicious it's just you have to get your head around the context of it that's was that's, it distinctly uh, different to a mince pie that we would recognize or because of all the spices was it similar when you know that suet is actually meat fat and when you if you fry the suet and think about it as meat fat you can actually make the connection so the, the that brand um it's, a, it's the classic is it atora I think was called uh, Atora, which is that the, the box of suet. It's like yellow and red, and it, you've seen the, the packet. It's the it's the one that everyone recognises as the maybe the only producer of suet. I don't know, 
But apparently it was called Atora because Atora, the Tora bit, came from Toro or bull. So it was like bull fat. And you're putting bull fat, not, it's not just in mince pies, I mean, in, in steamed puddings. So steak and kidney pudding or a steamed treacle steamed sponge or toffee pudding. They also contain beef fat or suet. Which you'd never think, would you, when you were eating those? You would never make that connection. I no. wouldn't anywhere in my head when I was eating it. No, it's just it's just what we're what sort of what we're accustomed to. So for me, I wanted to balance. It, it has a great richness to it. The quality of the dried fruit, I think, is important, but also it needs some sharpness and acidity to balance the concentrated sweet richness of the dried fruits. So if you could. You know, for example, you put a bit of fresh orange or citrus zest. You can infuse the mixture with the leaves from lemons or oranges. You can put little coriander seeds in, which give you an encapsulated crunch, a burst of this citrusy flavour. And they, that works incredibly well. Or caraway seeds, which come from, were used in the old Naples biscuits, the sort of, the well, one of the earliest forms of biscuits as we know of today in the UK. Naples biscuits were sort of the bread that was crumbled up and then mixed with more ingredients and baked again with with caraway. So I think they do give you the opportunity to to have the comfort and sweetness and richness of the dried fruit, but with some bursts of acidity and freshness and stuff like that. Then there's the pastry. And for me, that is really important. The short crust, buttery pastry. That is actually the thing you don't tend to think about when you're about to eat a mince pie but it is the thing that makes the difference in your mouth between a good and a bad mince pie from my perspective too thick too dry just does not work too hot or too cold there is something when you bake it as well where if it's that hot you've got enough steam coming from the from the the mince meat filling then as it starts to cool down you give the chance to the pastry to slightly crisp up a little bit so if you can get that crumbly crisp buttery loveliness of the pastry with the 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 dried fruit which has enough fresh acidity to it as well if you can get that balance right then it's not only for me it's not only wonderful but because it's so synonymous with a time of year that so many of us you know means so much to so many and that we can connect on so many levels to then it makes it it makes it quite magical i i yeah, I tend to also think about when I look back, when I think about my memory of childhood and mince pies, I don't know, I think you tend to eat them outside more than inside. I mean, I don't mean the, the outside of the mince pie. I mean, you're outdoors more. I don't know why that is. Yeah, you're completely right. It tends to be something you're eating in the cold and they're warmed up and it's... I know exactly what you mean on that front. It's something you're given yeah. when you're out and about a treat you don't normally get. Yeah, and also you might have to go to an... A school play you don't want to go to, or you've got to turn up to some <laughs> local club or something, and the saving grace is a mince pie. So maybe contrastingly, it makes it seem like even more of a um, of a reward. And I also imagine because it's because it is one of those things where while the recipe is mince pie, there's so much flexibility to play with what goes in it. I imagine that's something you quite enjoy. I know your new ones have got carrot in, right? Yes. Well, well, the the the, the new ones are. They've been inspired by the night before Christmas. So it's to me, it's sort of the, the, the Christmas period, I think, of mince pies. Christmas Day, I think, of Christmas pudding. 
So it's almost mince pie's ultimate last chance to give you a slap around the face for Christmas. It's, it's that just that bit before midnight because then you get Christmas Day. You can have leftover mince pies, make all sorts of things with them. But, but they're, for me, they're synonymous with the build up to Christmas. And there's nothing more exciting as a kid than the night before. Going oh, to bed knowing it's, it's your last dodo, your last sleepy sleep night before Santa's going to come down the chimney. So that idea of leaving a mince pie, uh, maybe a carrot for the reindeer and a glass of milk. And so that's why we put, <clears throat> there's two reasons actually, put the carrot into the mincemeat, which having spoken about suet and meat in, in, in mince, carrot doesn't seem that bizarre but also for me um a great carrot has and, and this might sound a little bit pompous so forgive me but carrots a good carrot has a real uh, aroma of frankincense now i can say this thanks to you jay because we went and filmed do you remember for christmas we went to try and milk a reindeer I um, certainly do. And um, in, in Siberia, Siberia, we got a couple, like half a teaspoon out of it, but we did spend some time with reindeer. And we um, also went to Oman to get fr- with frankincense. And we did the was trail. That was the tree sap, right? Yeah, we followed the, tr- remember the, tr- the old camel trail with an archaeologist. And apparently if Jesus, when, if and when Jesus was around, he followed this trail. And we went to an old, some old ruins where they were trading spices and other commodities and the theory was that in fact it wasn't gold frankincense and myrrh it was golden frankincense and myrrh so what's golden frankincense when they harvest a frankincense is the sap like sandalwood the sap of a tree so you make a hole in through in, in the bark of a tree and eventually sap comes out and then that sap crystallizes when you leave it to dry you break it off and then you do it again. I think they had to do it three times or four times. And then you'd get the golden frankincense, which is the most valuable sap. So I was lucky enough. Apart from, do you remember, we met, we drove out to this old, it was like an ocean floor, but it's desert outside our man with this group of Bedouin. And they had, two of them had machine guns on them. And they had a pot of mutton stew that stank. Cook it with stones, as in heated stones. Absolutely stank. But they did give us a little bit of sap, which was the the the, like the first cold pressing of frankincense. And it sort of it tasted of the smell of churches. It must be, I don't know if it's the wood or just the incense that's been that burnt in there, but carrot has that character. Sorry, I'm rambling, but I'm trying to explain how I can make a comment saying, oh yes. Oh, yes. It's Don't like you know, carrots just taste like frankincense. <laughs> anyway, so there was, a, for me, there was a Christmas connection. You were such, you were such a good sport on, on all those shoots. But I remember there was one time you started having a sense of humour failure. And it was in Oman <laughs> where we were in Fez. And I had in my head, I wanted to get this shot, like a Lawrence of Arabia shot, where you were crossing into this ancient, because the city was amazing. It was like something out of Star Wars, wasn't it? It was awesome. Uh, Jay, you bastard. I remember this. And <laughs> donkey, was that donkey? It was a donkey. I thought, well, get you on a donkey with a Fez on your head, coming across the dusty streets. But the trouble was, it's a busy modern city there yeah my feet my feet buses. i mean these donkeys take like can carry a car so i'm sitting on this donkey my feet are nearly touching the ground 
and you're filming saying, go on, carry on, carry on. This donkey's just doing whatever he wants to do and I happen to be on his back. And there's kids that have come out of school pointing at me laughing really out loud like you know no one does that here and i kept getting you to do it again because i could not get a clean shot without kids cars buses oh my god it was was like an hour of just being pointed at and laughed at and i'm saying please come again (laughs) actually if you want we've got it's because i know it's in um in the feast book i think it's the photo you could post it up after i don't think that shot ever made it oh my god i remember i remember the shame (laughs) <laughs> so so <laughs> so clearly that. my god but you know going back to on mince pies that i think that there was a period in time where uh, and james um who we've I've, we've made quite silent probably means we've been getting things right i'm just listening i'm fascinated i'm listening i sure I'll can you have a look i think end. mince pies at some point used to be rectangular and they were rectangular because they were the shape of the manger and they might have had a figure Ooh. figure so that is fi- one idea I, yes they, they certainly used to be rectangular um the association with the manger is is a bit um is disputable i think, I, I think it's, it's was, tenuous uh, enough for us yeah it's a fact they were technically served in a coffin but then the coffin in those days used to refer to any box so, I mean, whether the, the, the shape was, you know, rectangular for the manger is, is disputed. But there is a, there is a theory that it could be the shape. It could, it could have been inspired by a manger. I got no idea, but that'll, that'll do for us for now, I think. I reckon it's probably similar to my baking, baking approach, which is I didn't have the right shape thing, so I'll just make it a different shape because it's the only size box I've got to put it in. And then afterwards, someone came along and went, oh, that looks like a manger. That's why they did that in those days. And they post rationalized oh, it like we do so all so many history. things like, yeah. Why do you cook it like this? Well, the original story is because that's the only pot I had. <laughs> <laughs> but the story now is... Uh, now is the Victorians <laughs> yeah. believed in aliens. Uh, uh, that's, about, that's about right. J- James, what el- uh, is there anything else we have been getting wrong or anything else we have dodged on the long run? Nothing run? wrong, I think. But I mean, obviously, the association with mince pies and Christmas is, is, is very you know, deep felt and, and actually proved to be quite controversial at times through history because Christmas itself was... was you know, seemed to be, um, I suppose, what's the right word? Well, it was, I suppose it was almost banned by Oliver Cromwell. He never technically banned it. There were some stories that he did outlaw mince pies and Christmas, but what he was, was a Puritan. So the story of, of the birth of Christ is not celebrated in the Bible. So anything celebrating Christmas wasn't strictly a Puritanical festival. Uh, and so when Charles I was beheaded and the parliament was dissolved and Cromwell took over with his new model army to rule Britain for, for a decade or so, he outlawed a number of, of Christmas-related things. And although he didn't ban technically Christmas, what he did do was make it illegal for you to not work at Christmas. So when you were talking earlier about people who wanted to work more and, and do lots of commercial things over the festive period... Hang on, illegal... So you're saying that... If you wanted to work, you should be allowed to work. Well, he, w- he said it was illegal not to work. So there was no legal reason for you not to work on Christmas Day. And Christmas Day was a normal day like all the others. And so anyone found saying, my shop is closed because I'm in church yeah. on this holy day, was found to be in breach of law. And I don't know what the punishment was, but I imagine it wasn't very nice. Could that, could <laughs> um, no, 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 not but, in those days. It, it wasn't, it, you won't get sent to Coventry, I guess. But uh, obviously all these things were reinstated once uh, Charles II took the throne and Cromwell died in, in 1658. But, uh, and, and sort of 
slowly the kind of the mince pie that we know today began to emerge as sugar became more accessible and probably meat became more expensive that that those flavors tended to take over but the tradition of eating mince pies was very much part of the christmas uh, festivities again and actually the banning of of christmas and, and worshipful practice at christmas time caused riots all over the nation and so was very much part of the the sort of the instigation of the english civil war so people went to went to war over over these traditions so they're very very deep felt in, in certainly in england and obviously in america and other places too where where you know, british feeling is, is strongly felt so jay we've heard it from the horse's mouth mince pies have started wars and finished them <laughs> That's, just, that's, that's a, a fact. fact. Mince pies have started war. <laughs> by, by eating a mince pie, you're doing an act of rebellion. It's brilliant. I, yeah, this is this is how new histories are written. Yeah, uh, we take the facts, James, <laughs> and completely ruin them. Completely <laughs> mess them up. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't realise any of that, and I also didn't realise quite how far back mince pies went. I know, obviously, meat pies, which is what we're saying they ultimately were, spiced meat pies, does make sense. They went back a long way, but that idea of the tradition of mince pies at Christmas. It is much longer than I thought it was. And answering your point from earlier, I think you can buy mince pies all year round, depending on which supermarket you frequent. Different supermarkets do slightly different things. Hmm. I'm not sure about Waitrose in particular. Be uh, careful. the other supermarkets <laughs> that do exist, apparently. So, Heston, if I'm going to crank up the oven and get me uh, get me rolling pen out this Christmas then, yes. what are your, what are your tips for how I can, apart from sanks doodling down to my nearest Waitrose and grabbing those beautiful clock face uh, mince pies uh, yeah. by Heston, yeah. which are which are actually are really really nice. I have had them, and I'm not doing that. We're not sponsored <laughs> by Waitrose, obviously. Um, uh, they are brilliant, and they've got a. I, James and I were talking about it after we scoffed a load in that shoot the other day. Yeah, I was getting licorice. James said licorice, and I was like, yes, that's it. That's what I was getting out of it. it was a licorice taste. That's from the muscovado sugar, which has a lic- has a licorice characteristic to it, and they've also got they come with the smoked sugar like a pine christmas tree flavored sugar that's been smoked so that's meant to sort of signify the fireplace so if you haven't got a fireplace as a lot of people won't have it is it is i it is a fireplace mince pie served with a fireplace in a sachet luckily james was there to do the uh, correct thing which is pour your little sachet fireplace onto it because i realized that i bought some of your mince pies a couple of years ago um, and it's only after I'd scoffed them all that I realised there was a sachet left at the back of the box that I was supposed to, a pine sachet I was supposed to put on at the start. Yeah, I should really yeah. read the instructions when I eat your food. I'd never bother. But that is the trouble. The trouble with the, there's so many, la- so much labelling laws now. You've got to put so much information on the packet. Is there any any information that really helps you give maybe an in- instructional advice or a tip on how to get the best out of it after you've opened the packet? You you kind of it's like sitting down reading War and Peace. Not that I've ever <laughs> read a lot. War and Peace, but I know it's a long <laughs> <Yeah>. book to read. <laughs> okay, so if you're at home, if you want to make your own mince pies, you make a short crust pastry or shortbread. So you take your cold cold butter and then just with a wooden spoon, beat it with sugar, and you your your cream. It's called creaming the butter with sugar. Let it get cold again. When the butter's cold, sieve your flour into a bowl and then cut the butter into the flour and it will go sandy. So it's, it's in French it's called pâte sable or sable and sable is sand in, in, in French. So that's for because you're going to get a nice, rich, buttery, crumbly pastry. You could put some, I put some lemon zest and maybe a bit of vanilla seed in there as well and then finish it with a, with a bit of egg, some egg yolks, not too many. Um, knead it 
only as much as it starts to come together into a homogenous mix, leave it in the fridge for an hour or so. Then you roll it out and then put it back in the fridge. These two stages of resting are important to stop the gluten developing so you keep it nice and crumbly. Then you, if you've got your mince pie casings, you just you lay you you line the casings with your with your pastry. You might want to butter and flour the, the the casings, and then fill it with your mince meat. Now, what I would do with the mince meat is take the mince meat, and I'd grate some maybe some lemon zest, some orange zest. You could have put a couple of caraway seeds, a couple of coriander seeds in there. If you've got, if you want to be a bit adventurous, thyme is wonderful because mandarin has a lot of thymol and thymol is what gives thyme its flavor so mandarin and thyme and oranges aren't, aren't you know and they're not a million miles away from from mandarins then put the lid on and bake them that's it for, that's a starter for 10 i'll take that i'll eat those and i didn't know that thing about thyme either that's wonderful another tradition at christmas time is stilton a little bit of Stilton with your mince pie is also... I mean, it might seem like putting Stilton before Christmas Day is something that breaks with tradition. But if, you, if you've got some mince pies left over and you've got some Stilton in your fridge after Christmas Day, have, have a go. Wonderful together. Really? Yeah. I would never have thought about doing that. Not, you'd, never, you'd never include it in the cooking of it, though, right? That's just purely something to have on the side. Yeah, I'd put it on the side. Oh, who knows? You could put it in. It might, it might, it might, the fat in it might split out or separate you can and also while you're at it i'll throw this in stilton and a digestive chocolate biscuit going back to uh we didn't touch on that um on our biscuit podcast but blue cheese and chocolate can be fantastic i haven't tried blue cheese chocolate and mince pies but i'm going to try this christmas i am too now that's fantastic uh well heston thank you ever so much you may be very hungry for mince pies now that's all the time we have on our mince pies episode but the spirit of christmas will still be alive over the next few weeks but for now all that's left to say on our mince pie episode is heston thank you ever so much goodbye jay goodbye james goodbye all <laughs>